Hello there and welcome to Fabulous Folklore, the podcast for all things folklore, occult and just a bit weird. I'm your host Icy Sedgwick, blogger, fantasy author and your guide into these rather mysterious realms. I've got some rare things to show you, so come on in, take a look around, but be careful not to touch anything. These things sometimes bite. Well, hello there and welcome back to Fabulous Folklore with me, your host, Icy Sedgwick. We are now moving into Halloween month, finally, and we're going to be kicking off with cats in folklore because I was wanting to have a look at things that were related to Halloween in some way. And you can't really think of Halloween without thinking of witches. And then obviously beyond that, you've then got things like their familiars, their black cats, their broomsticks, all that kind of jazz. So we're going to start off with cats. I'm not going to include things like the alien giant cat sightings and all that kind of thing. I'm talking about more sort of essentially domestic cats, but there are a couple of other legends in there as well. But love them or loathe them, cats are pretty fascinating creatures and there are obviously quite a lot of them in folklore and myth. You only need to look at the ancient Egyptians who actually revered cats so much that killing a cat became a punishable offence. And the cat deity Bastet defended the pharaoh, cats and children. And she's also one of my favourites, incidentally. But cats in folklore do actually occupy quite a lot of very varied roles. And whether they're stealing souls for the devil, they're witches in disguise, or they're good luck charms on board a ship, they do appear in quite a lot of stories. So let's have a look and get to know them a little bit better. One of the very strange old English beliefs is that cats will actually climb into a crib to suck the baby's breath until it suffocates. So there was a belief that cats would steal the breath of babies. And in 1791, a jury in Plymouth actually found a cat guilty of infanticide. Nobody really knows where the story actually comes from. Some people think that the cat is jealous of the attention that the child is getting. Other people think that the cat's after the milk on the baby's lips. So nobody really knows. Now, I actually have a theory, although I can't prove it, that it relates to older superstitions around the body. And if you ever read Gavin Francis's excellent book, Adventures in Human Being, he actually notes the Renaissance belief that the soul was attached to the body at the lips. So considering the fact that cats were supposed to steal souls for Satan, where better would you find the souls than on the lips? Obviously, it makes them a little bit more accessible. So we're going to stay on the theme of cats and children. And this time we're going to go to Iceland. And I'm going to completely mangle the pronunciation of this so I hope it's not too bad but there's a giant yule cat called Yola Kurtarin, and it prowls around at Christmas looking for victims and strangely enough unlike Krampus where in order to you know get nice things at Christmas and not be taken away in a sack you try and behave well in this case the yule cat doesn't actually persuade them to behave better he actually favours anyone who isn't getting new clothes for Christmas so the way this works is if you finished your household chores before Christmas, you got new clothes for Christmas. So the Yule cat would peer through windows to see who got clothes and who hadn't. Because obviously if you hadn't got new clothes, it implied you'd been too lazy to finish your chores and you were punished by getting eaten by this giant Yule cat. Now the oldest written versions of this tale date back to the 19th century, but some people actually think it might date back all the way back to the Dark Ages because getting your weaving and spinning finished in time to make new clothes for Christmas would obviously make quite a good incentive to work harder. So as cats in folklore goes, he's, he's pretty hardcore. 
And Danny Elfman actually made a short animation about him and there's a link to that in the show notes. So moving on from cats stealing souls and then cats eating lazy children, there's also a belief that cats brought the Black Death and that they worked with the devil. And because they're seen as the familiar of witches, people in the Middle Ages then extrapolated that to assume that cats were also best mates with the devil. And their breath infected you with consumption and their bite was poisonous. So basically when the Black Death got to work in the 14th century, thousands of cats were then killed to prevent the spread of the disease. Which is obviously a shame because if you believe the common theory that the plague was caused by fleas that were carried by rats, obviously the cats could have killed the rats. And there's a belief in the American South that the devil actually punished those who drowned cats. So obviously this is how, how much the devil protects his own, as it were. So if you, you drowned a cat, the devil would punish you. And you could also find if a person had been possessed before they died, because if a cat was sitting on their grave, it meant that they'd been possessed. And if you actually saw two cats fighting on a grave or near a dying person, one of them was an angel and one of them was a demon fighting over the soul. And this is the thing, there are a lot of links between cats and souls. We've already looked at cats stealing souls from babies by sucking their breath from their lips. We've looked at them working for the devil. But then we've also got the queen of cats in folklore, the cat Sith, which I've probably pronounced that wrong as well, so I do apologise, is a large black cat with a white patch on its chest. And she basically wanders around Ireland and Scotland looking for souls. And people would play loud music at wakes to distract her. And obviously nobody would burn fires in the same room as a corpse, so she wouldn't curl up beside the body. Now, according to the legends, she was actually a witch who could turn into a cat. And as cool as that sounds, she could actually only do it nine times. And the last time that she did it, she was then stuck as a cat. So obviously she had to be picky about when she wanted to be a cat and when she wanted to be a human. So this is the thing, though. Yes, this sounds awful that she was going around trying to steal souls. Obviously, this is from people who died. So it wasn't people who were alive. There were people who had already gone. And people would leave saucers of milk outside for it at, at, at Samhain, now known as Halloween. And she would bless the houses of those who left milk and she would curse those who didn't. So really, as long as you didn't have a, a dearly departed in the house already and you left milk out, you didn't really have anything to worry about. And incidentally, some people actually believe that Norwegian forest cats are either fairies or goblins. And you have to look into their eyes to work out which, way, which one they actually are. And there are other beliefs that if you peer into a cat's eyes, you can actually see the fairy world. So we're going to go from cats in folklore in this regard to the way that people then actually sort of use cats within superstitions now. And there's a really weird English sort of practice of burying mummified cats in old houses. And Margaret M. Howard wrote an article about this in 1951 where she looked at lots of different types of mummified cats that had been found either during demolition work or construction in these old houses. And back in 1951, the main reasons that a lot of these mummified cats were believed to be there were either as sacrifices during building to scare off vermin or that they were accidentally sealed in and they weren't there on purpose. So while she's discussing these cat sacrifices, she actually compares cats to the hare both obviously both animals have been credited with being witches familiars but she also notes that the cat's reputation for magical qualities actually came with the romans when they basically apparently introduced the cat to britain i don't quite buy that the romans introduced the cat to britain because obviously we've got indigenous species like the scottish wildcat but that's what she says 
Now, Howard does try to link the cat mummification in ancient Egypt, where obviously cats were so revered, they got the same funeral customs as everybody else. She tries to link that with these cats mummified in buildings, but I'm going to I'm going to be honest, I'm not convinced by her argument at all, because she herself seems more sold on the idea of these cats being walled up. It's like a feline equivalent of a scarecrow. So I don't I don't really think that the the reverence that you had towards cats in, in ancient Egypt can really then be extrapolated and applied to people burying cats in the wall to keep rats away. Very, very different thing. But Howard does note that there was a whole range of old European superstitions about cats from the Middle Ages, and they're basically pretty horrific. And according to her, in Transylvania and Bohemia, people would bury black cats under fruit trees to help them grow. And farmers would bury male black cats in fields on Christmas Eve to keep away evil spirits from harming the crops. So as much as the cat represents the devil and the forces of evil, by killing one and burying it, it then also protects harvests and other animals. So it's a bit of a strange one there. But incidentally, Patty Wigington actually notes as a mountain-based superstition that a farmer's cattle would die if he killed a cat. And arable farmers needed to take note because killing a cat would also kill your crop. So there's this really peculiar link between cats and basically protecting them and then also protecting your livestock or your crops, whichever one it was. But Wigington also highlights a legend in Wales and France that stepping on a cat's tail would make a girl unlucky in love. And if she was single, she would have to wait a whole year after she'd stepped on the tail to meet her husband. And if she was engaged, he would call off the wedding, which does seem a little bit excessive for accidentally stepping on a cat's tail. So we're going to go to another set of superstitions involving cats, and that is to do with the weather, which obviously the British are quite obsessed with. And there's one superstition that if a cat sneezes, it means rain's on the way, and a frisky cat means wind's on the way. And incidentally, there's also another one to do with wind that apparently if a cat claws at the curtains, it means we're going to have windy weather. And in Wales, people believe that rain was on the way if a cat's eyes dilated or if it washes its ears. But some people believe that cats caused storms at sea. And I think where this one seems to come from is there's a story of a witch who goes on a sailing trip with her fiancé. The rest of the crew believe that it's a bad luck to have a woman on board and they want a thrown overboard, which does seem a bit of an excessive way of dealing with the issue. But they did turn out to be right because she called up a storm and wrecked the ship. You might argue she did that because they were going to throw her overboard, but who am I to say? Because the witch now apparently haunts the seas as a cat and some fishermen will throw fish to her to stop, it, stop her from doing it again. Now, I don't know if the belief links to this story, but there is a belief that a cat falling overboard would bring a storm. So obviously you'd try and protect the cat where possible. Because there are obviously various superstitions where British and Irish sailors actually see black cats as being lucky to have them on board. Which explains Tiddles the cat, who was born at sea and he clocked up 30,000 miles. And there's a photo of him on board HMS Victorious in 1942. And if you think about it, having a cat on board is actually probably quite good luck because it'll help keep rats down and also keep your rations safe. But you'll notice that quite a lot of these superstitions that we've gone through so far keep mentioning black cats because a lot of the, the, the colours that seem to matter do seem to be if they're black cats. Because in some countries, black cats bring bad luck and there's an English superstition which actually says that black cats bring good luck as a wedding gift. Although any cat who sneezes near a bride will bring a good luck on a wedding day. There's also a belief that if a funeral procession meets a black cat, another family member will die. I mean, they will at some point. 
And if you're in North America, a black cat crossing your path will bring you bad luck, but a white cat will bring you good luck. Although in the UK, it's the other way around. So a white cat brings bad luck and a, a black cat brings good luck, which is quite handy for me because I know quite a lot of black cats. And in Japan, black cats crossing your path is a good omen. And incidentally, Russian blue cats, which are like a really gorgeous grey blue colour, are really, really lucky. But other cultures consider cats with extra toes lucky. But who knew that there was so much to cats in folklore? And I think a lot of these stories, as I say, they do revolve around cats working with the devil. And to be honest with you, if you've ever spent much time with them, you know how willful they are. And I think that's probably where a large part of it comes from. They can't be easily controlled like a dog, therefore they must be evil. But anyway, that is that for this week's episode. So we'll, we'll focus more on black cats because obviously it's more of a Halloween type thing. But if you want to see any of the images, and I do have a picture of Tiddles the cat and he is lovely, it's www.icysedgwick.com forward slash cats hyphen in hyphen folklore. The link is in the show notes, so you'll be able to find that there. Next week, we're going to be doing a reader request. So we'll be having a look at the number 13 in folklore and superstition, which I think does in a way linked to Halloween because it's all spooky and stuff. So that'll be good. And then we're also going to be looking at broomsticks and Halloween spells and pumpkins. So it's going to be all very jolly. And it's quite exciting that one of the Folklore Thursdays this month falls on Halloween, which is quite helpful. It's almost like we plan this stuff. But that's it from me. If you're interested in all things ghostly and spooky and things like that, please check out my Patreon bonuses because I do have additional content available on Ghosts and the Supernatural if you become a patron. Other than that, I hope you have an absolutely fantastic week ahead and I'll see you next week when we start talking about the number 13. Cheerio. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you did, feel free to subscribe using whichever podcast app it is that you prefer. If you do use iTunes, if you could leave me a review, that would be fab. Basically, it just means iTunes are more likely to recommend this to other people. And if you're interested in more folklore, please feel free to swing by my blog, which is www.icsedgwick.com. And that's Sedgwick spelled S-E-D-G-W-I-C-K. And you can find all of the links, images and other bits and pieces that hopefully you enjoy. So have an absolutely fab week ahead and I'll see you soon. Cheerio.